grease us up and put us in a tank top because it's feature please a hateful voyage for the delta quadrant my name is joseph and i'm your core laborer peter because i'm toxic as fuck for this one (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry i almost stepped on that man that's a good one thank you i i planned that one one out in the car ride home today you're like you didn't didn't matter what i said you had the perfect yeah you had the perfect one well you tripped me up last time and i I felt shame on that one. Luckily, the audio kind of drowned me out, but uh, yeah. <laughs> sorry, blew everyone's ball. eardrums out. BT dubs uh, <laughs> screwed up the audio layering on the episode. So the, the uh, theme song uh, was very loud. Uh, will not happen again. Apologize. Um, yeah, this this has got to be uh, you say a lot about this episode. It's definitely the greasiest one that we've ever seen. This is the greasiest episode of Star Trek, I think, ever. Short of skin of evil i don't think we've ever had a star trek episode yeah where people are covered in as much shit as we're gonna get out of this one you know before we get into this episode i did want to mention that we got a fan email which we rarely do to be honest that is not to say we don't have great fans they don't interact with us on facebook or twitter uh but the the writing of a letter you know of an electronic letter if you will uh, is is a lost art and we we always happily receive these at vger please at gmail.com and we got one from alexander uh who apparently came on to the sh- uh listening to the show recently so welcome uh alex we're we're happy to have you and uh shared a number of uh his uh personal uh takes as to why voyager is his uh least uh favorite trek series um I, I think something he brought up here that sometimes we, we don't talk about, which is at the time this this Voyager probably represented a lot of franchise fatigue because Star Trek had been continuously on since basically Star Trek for Voyage Home at that point. At this point, that's probably 15 ish years. And some things start to feel recycled because you've got these writers who are trying to come up with new things to do and there's no time gap or separation for them. Was his number one reason on his list that Voyager's the worst property because he has not yet seen Picard? <laughs> Actually, he has not watched Discovery, Star Trek's Picard, or Lower Decks. Well, I think he's going to have to redraft his list once he watches those. <clears throat> I want to talk about <laughs> franchise fatigue and recycling of ideas. Uh, I thought more about Think Tank, and as I was listening to the episode, uh, I'd meant to bring up during our recording it really felt like there were shades of the most toys, which was the TNG episode with Kivas Fagio, where the guy abducts data and then fakes a shuttlecraft explosion. And then Picard famously is like, Oh, Oh, well, all right, land the next course. We're out of here. And then, uh, data ultimately has to kill that guy with the Veron T disruptor to escape. But it was this super advanced gifted, trap to bring the unique person from a crew member in under a manufactured scenario. Uh, And whereas I think most uh, the most toys had some good character growth there, I would say that was absolutely lacking in think tank. When we talked about the episode last week, a point I brought up that I think dovetails into what you're saying is the point of the episode was to be as simple as possible because of the 
high star wattage of the guest star in context of the time. Not sure Jason Alexander would rate for much these days. No fault of his own. He just doesn't. He seems to just be happy to take that Seinfeld money and sit on it. Like Lord a, knows I would be <laughs> like a like a like a covetous dragon. Uh, but the best episodes of Star Trek for people like us specifically are those that have those layers to them. And Think Tank was just totally missing on those layers. Um, and I, that I don't think was accidental. It was it was made to be something that someone who had not watched a show could watch uh, relatively easily, maybe passing familiarity. Uh, you know, maybe you didn't know who Seven of Nine was. They explain enough in that episode. You know, that's the, I think that was the issue. I agree. But here we are. Season five, episode 21 or episode 20, if you're going by Netflix. Juggernaut, which. I was going into this with my money on recommending to you that we make our episode title. I'm the juggernaut bitch. After the <laughs> classic redubbed X-Men animated series uh, episode. But boy, I got some, some way better ones that I'm going to lay on here a little later. Malorn space is fucking huge, Joe. And as I sit here going through different, filthy dusty corners of the internet looking at delta quadrant maps that give me aneurysms and or make me feel like i got busted upside the head by a pipe myself which will be a common theme for this episode oh i mean the space pipe meme is getting a workout full force all right (laughs) okay just in case somehow you got into what episode 122 of our our little nerd podcast over here Without listening to any of the earlier stuff, there's a joke. I'll explain it right now. Space pipes. Lon Suter, who was the murderous Betazoid uh, Maquis, one of the best characters that Voyager has produced so far, kills a Starfleet officer with a pipe he pulled off the wall and then hides the guy in the wall. And ever since then, any chance there is to, to sneak a pipe into a scene and bust someone over the head with it, we really light up because it's a shout out to our old friend Lon Suter. And boy, is that and, going and, to be representing in spades this episode. And it's not it's not just us referencing Lon Suter. It is the predilection for Star Trek because they want there to be kinetic action on scene and phaser fights are boring. And expect that, special effects. Right. It They do fight scenes with, you know, a lot of hand-to-hand combat. And the way to escalate hand-to-hand combat is with a hand-to-hand weapon. And the easiest hand-to-hand weapon to create for on-screen combat that looks okay on camera and is also easy just to use because, you know, like using something that's got a blade, it's more complicated, is going to be a bludgeoning weapon. So space pipes are extremely commonplace and used frequently to great effect in many fight scenes in Star Trek because of this production, uh, like kind of niche that it, it fits into. And so and it, like you said, you don't it's have not to, just us. <laughs> you're not doing blood, right? I mean, you could beat the yeah. fuck out of someone with a pipe and they're just laying there. You stab someone a couple times like the shoot. And now you got someone's neck opening up and green slop pouring out. It's it's expensive and it's going to get the sensors on your ass. So, yeah, so the space, the space pipe is a hollowed piece of uh, 24th century technology as to you know ways to, to make yourself safe 
you just got to be handy with your space pipe and be ready. And like Lon Suter was the master. You know, we respect him. You know, R.I.P. Lon up in space heaven looking down on us, wanting to kill us, which I don't we probably Joe, deserve. I, let me disabuse you of any notion that Lon Suter went to heaven. <laughs> no, 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 no. There is a space hell, but only Neelix can send you there. And and that's where Crewman Jonas is. Very true. Fair enough. Fair enough. Dude went, a, dude went out on a fucking Valhalla moment, murdering like six Kazon in engineering. You know, he got he got taken away by by the Valkyries to meet with Space Odin. Right. That shit happened. But point being, pipes are a big deal. They'll be a big deal in this episode. We'll get into it later. But uh, as I'm sitting here giving myself an aneurysm, trying to look at the fan interpretation of what the writers have portrayed as the geography of the Delta Quadrant, uh, I, I feel like I'm looking at insanity. So the Malorn, right? Yeah. The Malorn were our season five, episode one introduction. Correct. We got Knight. And the point of Knight was that uh, Voyager entered a real goofy part of space where there was a lot of theta radiation. It blacked everything out. And we come to find out that there was this two dimensional Captain Planet villainish species known as the Malorn, which just cruelly dump nuclear waste all over this part of space. And it's kind of poisoning some glowing Tootsie Roll people. And then Janeway blows up the garbage ship and kills the whole crew. And that was before and, and we went heavy on this last episode, Think Tank, because of the breadth of distance that we have covered in season five, you've got Borg boom tube trips. You got timeless slip stream. You got, uh, there was another big boost there. What was it? Uh, there was the cast put that happened after it was just the two, the timeless slip stream and the, uh, the boom tube with the transwarp coil are the only ones that happened in this season since they met the Malorn episode one. And yet, despite this huge distance traveled and multiple other hostile empires that Voyager's been dealing with. Here we are right back into the Malorn uh, story geography zone. Uh, we get a bad CGI flyby of the garbage scow ships, which we've been shown are garbage trucks that can take Voyager in a fight pretty easily. And as we zoom into an engineering hall, we see a Malorn flying around what looks like a space dildo. So the the space dildo is uh, captained by a guy by the name of Fessick. And like all Malorn, he's got a, you know, a kind of a weird butthole head and radiation burns and just kind of looks like your uncle. That's probably an alcoholic. <laughs> and... <laughs> And, uh, you know, they're cruising along and he's got like a an exo who's uh, got like a toy that he wants to give to him so that he so that the captain can give it to his son. They're kind of chummy. You know, it's more of a friendly kind of ribbing back and forth. Um, but they're definitely like given the more the less the Captain Planet villain vibe and more the blue collar uh, waste haulers in space vibe. And that's when shit starts to go wrong. They start to have chaos. There's seals breaking. There's there's problems with the waste tanks. 
Um, you know, that the emergency systems are failing. They send a guy down to like lock everything up. Um, and that's not working. And then not they, just they... any guy. Did you catch who that was? No, I didn't. Alex Enberg, a.k.a. Ensign Vork. That was our favorite rapey Vulcan. That yeah, was they uh, oh. they did him up different on that one. This is an important scene. Well, the... Let me skip to the end, Joe. I really okay. liked this episode. This what? was a what? <laughs> <laughs> you really liked it? I mean, I could say like it was okay. I mean, it was probably it was better than what we watched last week, but really liked it. I really liked that. Matt. You can defend that story by Brian Fuller. We got some Kenneth Bewilder in there and Nick Sagan working the teleplay together. If this was a standalone episode and our only exposure to the Malorn, this would have been fantastic. I think it does a really great job changing up the theme and the locale and the feelings of your average Voyager episode. It's very dark. It's grimy. Um, it's a great look at the people in the Delta Quadrant as opposed to the a species or an empire or a military organization. Uh, and I think it's got a pretty good um, feeling of dread moving through it. And that's what makes the bad parts of this episode really stand out. Because I don't know if Brian Fuller had just never bothered to watch Night or any of the other interactions that we'd had with Malorn. But it takes all of the earlier criticisms we had about this species and really just cranks it up to 11, right? They do a great job in this opening scene of humanizing these guys, fleshing them out. Whereas in Night, this guy was just this hoggish, greedly Captain Planet. Like, well, you've shown me a better way to do things, but I'm going to be evil for the sake of being evil. Uh, what was a stupid multiphasic probe where they make the um, the Delta Flyer? Oh, yeah, yeah. The, and they have to get it before the Malorn that space race and the greedy Malorn have to go in there and stupidly that their, their ship blows up. And I made comments a couple times on those earlier. like these seem like big ships. And I think we'll find out there's 30 plus crewmen on this. Right. Yeah. You know, these aren't evil, bad people. The, these are just guys doing a job. And as we'll find out through later dialogue, like nobody wants to be there. The act of being there is almost an act of community service for the betterment of the entire species to take this highly toxic waste away from the home planet so the home planet stays safe and clean and beautiful and everybody is basically cutting their lifespan down to nothing and taking on this terrible radiation poisoning um, for the betterment of the species and in this opening scene when they send uh, Vork, the guy who you know Alex Enberg out they say listen get down there and do these uh, what I call them core core personnel core work yeah the the core labors right mm -hmm. the guy turns with this uh this ghost look he's like i didn't sign up for core labor work and he says fucking get down there right now and it's this real uh chernobyl moment right like if you go in there you know you're gonna die but the ship's gonna blow up and it's gonna poison this entire sector of space you need to take one on the chin and and sacrifice yourself for the greater good I, I agree with you that Brian Fuller did a better job of making the Malorn seem like a real thing rather than Horace Greedley style Captain Planet villains, as we've said over and over. Uh, my, and, and like I said, I, I, 
I didn't hate this episode, and I imagine we're closer in agreement on its quality level than perhaps I, I first thought. I I have a second level issue, and that's how they handled Bolana. Well, let's let's get back on the story because that's exactly yeah. where we're going. Is the Bolana plot? Yeah. Then the next scene cuts to them on Voyager, and it's Tuvok and Bolana in Tuvok's quarters, and the triumphant Bola- return of Shang Tsung robes on. Yes, finish him. <laughs> Tuvok is prepared for Mortal Kombat with Bolana. You got to be ready. I mean, I don't know if she's got an ashtray to throw at his ankles, but you know, what she has is uh, what is going to be the first of two sexy time outfits. She has gotten back into Kess's old season two supply of skin tight velvet cat suits. And she's there for some soft spoken meditation. I mean, they we've said a lot in season five about how good Roxanne Dawson looks <laughs> like boy. Oh boy. Was 1998, 1999 her fucking year like post baby body fucking rocking it. And they have spared no uh, opportunity. Shame. Yeah. To highlight how good she looks. And, um, you know, one hand, of course, I can't complain. On the other hand, it's shameless. <laughs> like they they go so overboard with the grease and makeup on her in this episode to just accentuate her uh, PG level of semi nudity up until we get to the ending, which is like the maximal. The last scene is the maximal version of that. Ridiculous. Uh, Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Come on, guys. Like, remember the ass shot from like three episodes ago in uh, in uh, Operation Oblivion or whatever? Course Oblivion. When they are, it's her and seven of nine uh, going through Jeffrey's tubes and they got a fucking shot directly from above to that has, serves no other purpose than to show off both of their asses as they crawl through the Jeff Jeffrey's tube. Like they are just going it. Horny motherfuckers this season. What's interesting is that she was never a sex element earlier and it wasn't until they brought in seven of nine they're like i they just we, we need already more. got a sexy lady on the show let's just uh show her up some more well, yeah so it's some very interesting show politics behind that and they never really touch on it in any of the memory alpha entries and i've never heard anybody else talk not that you know people are talking heavily about voyager <laughs> conversation right. uh we should have mentioned this in the beginning did you know anything about star trek day a couple days ago I think I vaguely saw something mentioned about it on Twitter. Kurtzman pulled some stunt to try and like build uh, interest. And they had a bunch of like virtual panels that were just YouTube clips of uh, cast and crew talking about stuff. The Voyager things seem to actually do pretty well for themselves comparatively. But overall, it was a huge flop and and, and burning trash fire, as is everything Kurtzman touches. But uh, I want to go back and listen because it really... Maybe it's because we're doing the Voyager thing now that I'm more sensitive to it, but it really does seem like the Voyager cast is out there more than some of the other crews from the other shows. Uh, I, I I think that's true. I don't want to let's let's explore that point a little bit more. I think it's worth talking about. Sure. Oh, so I think the Voyager people are out there more now because the popularity of Voyager was always understated. What we have discovered through doing this show and becoming more sensitive to fandom 
specifically Voyager fandom as a consequence, is the disturbing level of preference that Voyager has amongst Trek fans. Uh, half of the most streamed Star Trek episodes on Netflix are Voyager episodes, not DS9, not TNG, Voyager. Uh, the the time period in which it came on meant that there's like the you know the millennials like you and me like the early stage millennials watched TNG but the late stage millennials watched Voyager right it's their show that they were watching when they were growing up and as a consequence there's a ton of affection for it that I think never was fully appreciated until recently and now there's a lot of talk about because seven of nine was a huge deal that she was on Picard, right? That was a huge value add for that show. People got very excited about that. And I'm sure that the, that the people at the network level noticed. And when they're considering new projects and new Trek related projects, all these guys who haven't fucking done anything in a while or haven't done anything nearly as lucrative or as good, who are like, I could, I could get another fucking CBS paycheck. Is that what you're saying? I could uh, ride that Trek train a little bit further, you know, especially if we're like stoking the fire by doing good fan events and engaging and getting a lot of eyeballs and continuing to keep ourselves in their minds. Like it makes, it makes sense to me. Like you hear Kate Mulgrew talk about it more, you know, it's, you know, the Delta flyers thing has kicked off and it's been a success. I think that's why. You have a lot of the Voyager cast that hasn't gone on to do necessarily bigger or better things. Not that I mean, I, mean, I think out of all, out of all of them, Jerry Ryan and Kate Mulgrew are the only ones who got regular work after. Not even Robert Picardo had that. I mean, he did a lot of guest spots on Sci-Fi stuff, but he never like Jerry Ryan was a regular on two different shows, and uh, obviously Kate Mulgrew was a regular on Orange is the New Black. Like they're the only ones. The rest of these guys are hungry. I I think you could probably go through the majority of Star Trek and say that a overwhelming majority of these guys have not gone on to notable projects after. Uh, But something something just sits a little different about Voyager. And I'm going to challenge what you said. Maybe there's a lot of people who just didn't watch Voyager before, like myself. And now, you know, it's on. Netflix and it's easy and people are circling around and say, well, let me give it a chance. And that could be too. I don't want to. It was that. progressive enough for the time that it still resonates well today, minus a Kuchi Moya. <laughs> and it's just uh, it's aged very well and it's it's good enough for something on in the background. Can we switch gears into the Balana plot? Yeah, 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 yeah. Her anger has been this. Well, we go back and drink from frequently. It really started uh, early on in the Voyager plot. We had faces where she gets her human side split from her Klingon side and has to kind of come to terms with her anger and her Klingon heritage, maybe more so her Klingon heritage than just the anger in general. But we've touched what I feel like is uh, her her anger issues many times. So Going back to this topic for this episode, I don't think it really fit in well with the with the character map that we have for her to this point. It's it's kind of like the Chakotay treatment we got back in the fight where I thought we were past this. I completely agree. This is where my big issue with the entire episode comes from as well. 
it's like they they got a bit of the Janeway disease and being completely inconsistent on how they interpret slash write the continuity of their character with Bolana, and that is it seems that we've had this episode four or five times where she has to overcome her anger guys from season one. Like I think episode two, right. Was the one where it was reflections or whatever, where she's dealing with the temporal issue with uh, the captain. And that's how she gets made chief engineer yeah. with the, with the immortal throwing of the uh, ashtray at Chakotay's feet that we reference the every other war particles moment. Yeah. Yeah. Like th- and we, we mentioned that moment so much because it seems that we keep confronting this plot line over and over again. That's where I kind of lose the episode a little bit and it doesn't really pick back up until we get halfway through and we're kind of doing some rad shit on the garbage freighter and like the it shit gets interesting. And point. in fact, the reflections moment where her and Janeway bond over the warp particles <gasps> and we say Jean-Luc because it's like that old Folgers ad. Um, they're both like warp particles, but it's the same deal here. There's this uh, girl solidarity thing that Janeway shows her after Chakotay gets injured on the away team mission and Tuvok's like, listen, Bolana's real testy and she's a threat to the mission, which could not only destroy us, but also poison this entire three light year span. And Janeway's like, yeah, but if I send you over there, it's going to show I don't have confidence in her and I need to back her and I believe in her and I know she'll come through. And it's again, it's it's that reflections kind of moment. Uh, so. Tuvok's trying to get her to meditate. She's laughing through it. She's not taking any of this seriously, which seems like a big step back because I don't have my episode list handy. But again, for all the breakthrough moments she's had in acknowledging she's got this anger issue and she needs to take steps to correct it and really kind of mellow, she's just reverted bad and, and seems to be bucking not only self-improvement, but authority in general. Like she is way out of line for 80% of this episode. And then she'll treat us to a little story where we find out that Daniel Bird uh, used to tease her and call her Miss Turtlehead. And (laughs) that really made her mad to the point where she basically sabotages a piece of uh, playground equipment. So it throws him off at high speed. And then she like ground and pounds him. And if the teacher hadn't become involved, would have like tried to like rip his eyeballs out or something. Yeah, she goes into such detail reveling in how much she wanted to murder this kid it's pathological like they way overdid it with her with oh we want to show how angry she is and how she gets carried away in her anger that was the idea i mean she literally is like i would i sabotaged a piece of equipment so it would kill this kid but it didn't so i went to go murder him with my hands and i would have done it if i hadn't been stopped and i liked it which is essentially the vibe you get off of it it's like what? whoa jesus girl you need you need help <laughs> like fuck brian fuller i think wanted lon Suter to be featured in this episode but because that evil witch jerry taylor Definitely, definitely killed him off on purpose. He was not available to wield the space pipe. So instead, for this episode, the role of Lon Suter is being portrayed by uh, Roxanne Dawson. I I think we can go ahead and cash it in now and say that if there was ever an episode made post Lon Suter that needed Lon Suter in it (laughs) desperately to make the situation better, because we often contemplate would Lon Suter being present solve this problem? 
And in this case, it's an absolute yes. Yeah, someone gets you killed s- with a pipe. Yes. You s- you send that psycho onto that ship and he'll just he'll just space pipe murder any problems on he'll there. You'll the just no pro- no issues. So here's you know? my first uh, entry for what this episode should be called. And that's going to be Miss Turtlehead's Wild Ride. <laughs> uh, Tuvok will go so far as to say, I don't think you're taking this serious. You need to acknowledge that you've got an anger problem. She laughs at him and then he calls her Miss Turtlehead. Uh, which she does not take too kindly and pouts and uh, takes off. Somewhere along the line, we find out uh, what happens. The warp field collapses. No, they get the distress call. Yeah, yeah. Tom Tom has that awkward talk with Tuvok where he once again shows he's the world's worst fucking boyfriend. I'm like, how'd it go? And she, you know, he's like kind of shitty. He's like, I know women, right? Her temper is crazy. It's like, yeah, way, way to be supportive about your uh, your girlfriend's anger issues, dude. Yeah, fucking great. 10 out of 10. Get fucked. <laughs> like, man, boy, oh boy. Like, our most relationships on Star Trek are really shitty, aren't they? Like, they're just written. Miles and Kiko, of course, are legendary. Miles and Kiko, they're always written from this perspective of the guy being just an absolute idiot. You know, just being a senseless non-supportive douchebag. That's why I feel like the best one is is uh, always going to be um, Worf and Jadzia because it's like the only one who doesn't feel that way. Well, I haven't gotten there yet, but uh, in all due time. So they're on the bridge talking. Uh, they get a distress call. They scoot over there like good uh, Starfleet officers. They don't know who they're going to rescue, but when they get there, they find... Dozens and dozens of life pods Correct. out of the entire wasteland of uh, life pods. There's only two life signs present and they beam them over. They find out they're Malorn. Uh, The warp field collapses around Voyager. It's stuck. And we find out that the vessel from the cold open, which was in under a threat of blowing up, is still intact and still limping along and that Voyager is not going to be able to get out of the explosion radius, which is three light years. And there's also some habited planets and some other ships and Voyager's going to need to fix the problem where everybody's going to die. Okay. So let's take a second here and appreciate how big a fucking explosion they're saying this is going to be. Okay. So you know, the, the waste haulers turn into a giant bomb because it has four, trillion isotons of antimatter right so it's basically a giant antimatter explosive okay and they're saying everything in a three light year radius would be completely destroyed okay the 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 distance from sun to pluto is measured in light minutes so imagine an explosion so large that the destruction of our entire solar system would just be the start of it. So this is probably going to kill billions of people if this is an inhabited sector of space. What I'm hearing you say, Joe, is that we need to steal many of these garbage scows and send them on suicide missions into Borg space. Yes, send them through Borg (laughs) boom tubes, just garbage truck after garbage truck and detonate. That is clearly the fucking answer. 
if this is the kind of threat that one of these scows can bring to the table, I'm honestly surprised that the Borg haven't just flat out assimilated the Malorn because they are such a fucking hazard to... <laughs> just like, we gotta get rid of you motherfuckers. Yeah, like, you, you guys... <laughs> space global warming is gonna be a real problem if you guys continue. <laughs> we gotta... We're, you know, we're, we're evil cyborgs, but we believe in a green society. Yeah, uh, we are going to be the captain planet that brings you down. So what powers have to unite to make Berman era uh, Captain Borg planet um, efficiency, cooperation, harmony and perfection and and <laughs> wires and open green, sky. green lights, <laughs> green lights. Oh, and laser pointers, Yeah, uh, laser pointers out of your head. Yeah, there you uh, go. Yeah. Um. So Janeway goes down into sick bay and she's like, listen, wake these guys up. We got to talk. The Malorn captain, whose name is what? Because this guy did a pretty decent job, I thought. Yeah, Fessick. And he did. He did a great job. Is he someone we know? Fessick. I uh, didn't get a sense that he was a guy I've seen before, but I've been often wrong. Ron Canada. He has not played. He played uh, one of the guys in the Masterpiece Society. DS9 rules of engagement. Yeah, he was the prosecutor in rules of engagement. Okay, so yeah, he's done some some episodes. Ron Canada is a name I've heard before. Hmm. Orville, Admiral Tucker, that's who that's that, that's why I know. Uh so I dig this guy. He does a good job and he does an excellent job in bringing life and depth to what has traditionally been a very shitty two-dimensional uh, race and Janeway brings him up to speed on what's going on and he says listen we need to get the fuck out of here because there is no way to fix this ship and maybe we can hide in this nebula and just any possible reason I can come up with to stay away from the ship because I know it's going to fail and we're going to be in trouble and Janeway's like nope we're going back on this thing and you're going to help us fix the problem that you created and there's another guy there whose name I don't know, and he's not really Pelk. Pelk. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're very reluctant, but Voyager drags him back out that way. And we put together our away team while we're in transit. And I thought this was one of the stronger parts of the episode is showing the tension and the the nervousness, I guess, that an away team can feel as they prepare to go on what will become a very um, undesirable mission. Uh, it's, it's usually just, okay, we're going to, we're going to do this thing, get the team beat on the transporter and off they go. And I, I really like it's not a montage, but the, it's showing how everybody's preparing. Yeah. They spent some time like building up why it was necessary to do this. And in a way that was more layered than usual. So I did appreciate that. And, you know, Bolan is a bitch the whole time just to build on the whole, you know, her anchors out of control plot line. And it's so out of place and weird. Again, it just, just takes me out. Completely alien. She's been so yeah. chill for so long and she's just sassing Chakotay and she's fighting with Tom. She's popping off in front of uh, Janeway to the point where Janeway's like, listen, knock it off. She keeps like going after the the Malorn captain controller, as they call it. It's just, it's, it's some season one Balana bullshit, you know, real and, sore thumb stuff, man. It just sticks out bad. We have a special guest star. This episode, Ethan Phillips portraying a character named Neelix. I don't know if you remember him from. Yeah. Yeah. Season no, I remember. Four. 
Yeah, I remember him from prior seasons. It's good of them to bring him back for little guest spots like this, you know. <laughs> Great this is probably the most episode. fucking screen time he's had in probably a you know ten weeks. Does you a know, great job. He uh, does. I, I like feel... that the way that the way they get him on is that he spent a bunch of time working on a Talaxian garbage hauler, so he's got like experience in dealing with with waste. He's he too was a space garbage man, and uh, it makes sense for his character. Like, yes, I buy it. Neil he's the jack of all trades. You know yeah. that this is where his character shines. I feel very bad for all of the aliens in this. Like Beltran really gets off easy because he's just a human with no shit on his face, but the Malorn, Balana and her prosthetic Klingon stuff, Ethan Phillips and all of his already terrible amounts of makeup he has to wear. And then like they grease all these people up and make them like extra filthy. It's a bad, bad time to be an alien on a Star Trek set and the later parts of this. But uh, Neelix brings some good humor bits into the episode as he's making some sort of nasty, ratty ass, pot of slop gravy which at first <laughs> his think, hands at first i'm like oh my god he's he's got his hands in it he's, he's tasting it and then putting the spoon back in and coughing uh, and dry heaving over the pot i'm like dude that's dinner for everybody in this fucking space cat's like <laughs> coughing a hairball up into this thing like this is unforgivable at this point but chakote comes in to like chat him up and neelix reveals that that pot of filth is in fact for neelix because it's some hokey witchcraft Talaxian anti-radiation stew. And that when Neelix dealt with a similar theta radiation catastrophe that he maintained, it was the whatever the fuck is his nasty goulash was that saved everybody's life. Uh, and that's a great moment to interject some humor into what is otherwise a very, very dark and depressing episode. There is a moment in engineering that we have Balana with her claws out going at the Malorn guys where she's condemning them about how terrible they are and how terrible their species is and all this other stuff. And it's really the, the first clue that Brian Fuller, Nick Sagan, Kenneth Biller, n- nobody watched night. I don't think, or they just decided that it was, the, the portrayal of the Malorn was so shitty in it that they had to just ignore it and basically start over, right? Like, they did see it. They're like, that was bad. Let's not do that again. Well, here's my big complaint about this, and, and I'm going to take this moment now to, to really detail it. Great episode. You feel for the characters. This guy is doing his duty to the, the service of his people. He's normally a sculptor, but six months a year, he's hauling this terrible garbage waste that's killing him. You know, he's doing it for his son. We find out more about the core engineers or the core workers who only three out of 10 core workers on a shift survive the trip. Yeah, but they get paid so much. It's more than most will make it a lifetime. And then Bellana says, what good's the money if you're dead? And he says, well, the money goes to their family, which seems very noble and altruistic. Like, you know, these aren't terrible wretched two-dimensional shitbags like these are people who are dealing with a serious fucking problem and they're paying with their lives and otherwise it would be probably pretty people who weren't covered in like festering blisters and this other stuff it 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 makes the rejection of voyager's assistance to like eliminate the need for all of this all the more i can't get over it 
Yeah. I can't fucking get over it. My biggest complaint out of night was that when the Federation comes in and says, look, here is our antimatter technology. This is how we run warp. Here is clean, efficient energy that is better energy output with none of this theta radiation byproduct. And the two-dimensional uh, evil captain is like, well, this will fuck up my uh, garbage hauling operation where I know a, a secret wormhole I can dump this shit in. I'm going to reject it. And by the end of the episode, Janeway murders this guy and kills his crew of 30-some people uh, who were probably just nice people that were had their kids waiting at home and all that other stuff I said, right? And that there's never an effort by Voyager to go to the Malorn government and say, here's this technology. Right. Yeah. Stop polluting the galaxy. Stop fucking yourself up. Sort out your shit. Clearly, the majority of your population is not happy about the fact they are willfully committing slow suicide by radiation poisoning because of a a catch 22 with their energy crisis. And here is a magic gift from the Space God Federation that will fix this. They just let them fucking suffer. And we jump into this episode. Now we're. They go to great lengths to humanize and, and give sympathy to these people. And Balana, who's the one who wasted like three hours of her time explaining all of this to the first Malorn captain, only for him to turn and say, well, I want to turn a profit. And she's like, you greedy motherfucker. And she flies off the handle like this is prime time for her to be like, there's a better way to do it. Why, you know, to to fix the plot hole, which has been. You know, OK, the first guy was greedy. He had a little shortcut for his secret dumping grounds. I get him rejecting it, but any other Malorn should be all about this. And she never brings it up once and they never come anywhere near broaching. Like we can fix all your problems with, with a simple calculation. And you know, even it got brought up on the trauma support group. Like if it's a capitalistic society, one of these people should jump at the chance to be the savior of the people and sell this revolutionary technology to the rest. It's just, it's ridiculous. The whole fucking thing falls apart. The sh- to short circuit to the end, I feel like that plot hole would have been so better addressed if at the end, like Fessick goes through all of this with him and then Balan is like, hey, here's the technology your people wouldn't accept before. Will you take it? Will you fucking do something with this so this shit doesn't have to happen again then that you've seen the horrific consequences? And he's like, yes, I want my planet to have a better future and my son to have a better future. I absolutely will, you know? Like that would have made total sense to happen at that point in the episode. It wouldn't you wouldn't have to change a fucking thing, right? Right. But instead, it all just gets completely ignored and it undermines the credibility of the entire fucking episode. So but but you know what? Buried under that destroyed credibility is the episode where Bolana gets to be Ripley. And it's actually pretty cool. It's way better than when it's better than when Janeway got to be Ripley. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, They also kind of glaze over the fact that like they got to move the crew onto a ship that's mostly filled with like super poisonous radiation gas. And they're like, well, who are we going to send in this super dangerous situation? At no point do they say, hey, by the way, the doctor could survive all this because he's just a fucking hologram. Like (gasps) you need to program him with all of the expertise necessary. You just need that throwaway line like, oh, theta radiation fucks up his mobile transmitter. But it's it's that all too common hole the writers find themselves in where there's a perfectly it's what we just complained about with the fucking antimatter conundrum. Like there's an answer five episodes back and you have to just willfully ignore the fact that the doctor is purpose built, not purpose built, but excellent at these high risk 
events, but whatever. So you get to see Chakotay and uh, Snarf Snarf palling around. You see Bellana still all wound up. And we get to feel a little bit more for the Malorn guys. They beam over. And and this is where, uh, you know, Bellana as Ripley truly begins. Um, as much grease as they put on everybody in this garbage scowl, curiously looking like a boiler room uh, spacecraft. It looks <laughs> um, like wherever uh, Freddy Krueger lives so he can just <laughs> yeah, perpetually like murder children. Yeah, this is a mur- murder murder boat, <laughs> a concrete murder boat in space. And uh, as much grease as they put on everybody else, they put twice as much on Bolana Torres because Bolana immediately rips off her uniform and is nothing but tank top, greased biceps and dirt the rest of the way. They they do a good job of building a sort of claustrophobic feeling ambiance in the episode. And it, it feeds into the there's something out there, you know, the 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 number two of the Malorn ship uh, Pelk is like, there's this legend of the Vihar of this creature born in the depths of the radiation. And, and they, they set up that it's probably a dude that, you know, got super radiated but didn't die. Like, it's it's pretty obvious that that's going to be what's going on here, because that's kind of the, the theme of the episode, of course. Regardless of that, though, they do a good job of like there being tension. Everyone's like shot real close. You know, they're flying Camera- blind when the um, away team lands. They start scanning around trying to get a lay of the land and the tricorders somehow ignite explosive fumes in the chamber. So great plot point. Like super. That. Yeah. And you know what? This is the second time Chakotay is like, no tricorders. The first time being. Space Spider Island. Yeah, and, I, and I've come to the conclusion that Chakotay hates tricorders as much as Bolana hates sleeves. <laughs> it's season five, Bolana hates the shit out of sleeves. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they they shoot everyone in real tight on the camera to kind of build the claustrophobia. Um, sets of, look amazing. Yeah, sets look really good. For, despite the fact, you know, it's kind of a repurposed industrial area. They do a lot to make it feel grimy and make you kind of feel like you're living in it. It's got a level um, of detail, especially in the face of um, Think Tank, which was one of the worst sets we've seen easily all season, <laughs> if not all series. It was just really lazy half ass set. Like everything here looks legit. The only other the only set worse than the Think Tank set was uh, the the juggalo mind prison being like the weirdest <laughs> convention in a holiday inn you've ever seen. Yeah. The <laughs> like, thaw. Yeah. The thaw set was, Oh no, the juggalos are having their acrobatics exhibition at the days in express. <laughs> like that's what that felt like. Um, so uh, the, the complete glossing over that the Malorn don't have to live, have the entire civilization live under the thumb of uh toxic poisoning uh the fact that the doctor could have just beamed in and done all this lickety split and just cut right to the end and and accomplish whatever they're trying to do in the bridge because everything's irradiated so they have to go deck by deck and manually purge gas out before they can safely go through these malorn guys have like these hazmat suits on already but they never put a helmet on at any point nor does the voyager crew bother putting on their 
spacesuits that they can wear on demon class planets that protects them from inhospitable climates. Instead, they just beam over in their normal ugly space pajamas. Hey, listen, if you're you're going to slather a bunch of grease on Roxanne Dawson, you're going to you're going to do it. And there's not going to be even sleeves, let alone a spacesuit involved. <laughs> we have to have priorities here. Sorry, Bolana. Uh, we only actually have two spacesuits because that's all we got from the filming of First Contact. So uh, Neelix and I get to suit up, but you're just going to have to be in a tank top. Thumbs the brakes. Sorry. I did like that they used the passage of time to like slather more grease on them to like show that they're going deeper. Uh, but it was only really noticeable on Bolana. Like they got her to the point where she's fucking glistening. It's kind of ridiculous by the like the last quarter of the episode. You're like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like <laughs> you're like a you're like a slip and slide lady. Holy crap. Did, did you partake in some sort of mud wrestling at some point? <laughs> like, like, yikes. So they start going uh, deck by deck in what is effectively the worst Bureau of Workers Compensation uh, event of all time. We oh, find yeah. out o- just how she's going to write so many violations. <laughs> yeah, like it, it's it's laughable how nightmarish the set is while still looking awesome. And again, you see just this Malorn life sucks and fuck Starfleet for never forcing the technology into the mainstream. Like when they get into the. Uh, Delana starts picking up radiation poison because she doesn't have sleeves to protect her from the evil and the Malorn dude's like well look I'll take her to our medical bay I've got some um, medicine there that'll specifically help her deal with this they get there it looks like some shit out of Silent Hill like the walls are melting and there's this table with this ventilator and this dude who's just super fucked up under there and uh, Balana's like Jesus this is your this is your sick bay this looks more like a morgue like what the hell? And he's like, yeah, life sucks. That was one of those core labors I was talking about. They dropped the only three out of 10 of these guys survive. Life sucks. Okay, cool. I'm going to cure your little radiation thing there. Here's this like terrible looking Vidian torture probe with two 10 inch needles. And I'm going to jam it in your fucking neck. And he's like, don't worry, I'm not going to hurt you. And then he like jams it in her neck. It's like, all right, this is actually going to burn. And really driving home the fact that this is a rough life and nobody's happy about being there. Uh, and while they're split up, uh, the secondary Malorn Pellick, who no one has really cared about because he was just there to spread superstition, gets attacked and gets killed and beamed back to the ship. And we'll later find out that he did not die from a chemical explosion like the head guy did, that he was attacked. The alien in this case turns out to be a guy in some pretty stellar makeup. A they, plus. They, as as alluded to, it is the 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 myth is not a myth. It is uh, actually one of the core laborers that has a rare mutation that he is immune to dying to the horrific uh, amounts of radiation he's exposed to, or at least. Um, it's such that it impacts him such he's super burned and in his like whole side of his face looks like it's about to fucking melt off. It's really gnarly looking. It looks and, great on its own. And the fact they have him hidden in the shadows and steam for the majority of the episode further sells it like this is movie grade. Nastiness. Yeah, the. 
the 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 upshot of the monster in this case uh goal is to uh sabotage the ship and make something terrible happen to force the Malon to change their ways because something so horrific has happened to him. And this is the consequences of their actions. Again, it kind of feeds in this idea of they could have ended the episode by Bolana passing on the technology that Malon passed on back in episode one, right? Like it would have closed the loop on their story perfectly. Like, oh, we dealt with the consequences of our actions. Therefore, we'll adopt new ways like you tried to help us with before, but we fucking passed on for no reason. Uh, well, but more importantly, it's when Bolana to save the lives of her crew members. Whoa, whoa, whoa. you're, 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 you're skipping herself. the first one. <laughs> oh, so go ahead. he got Chakotay, Bolana, the two Malorn guys. I think it's just the one Malorn guy at this point because the other one had already died and been beamed off. And then Neelix, who is strong through the entire episode, has some pretty good dialogue lines. And Ethan Phillips looks like he's just completely fucking miserable under all that makeup. But one of the hulls, the decks, they uh, go to depressurize the one in front of them. And instead, they depressurize their current one. And it almost blows them all out of the airlock. As they're escaping up a ladder, Chakotay thinks he hears something, looks. And then you get this first person view of a pipe ripping off the wall and just flying and blasting him in the face as Chakotay gets knocked the fuck out for the second time in season five. The first time being the hologram knocking him out, this time just a straight up rogue space pipe taking out Commander of the Voyager. That, that shit is dangerous. It's lucky you didn't kill him. I was a space pipe direct to the chest. I think I mean, it hit him that in the has head, a fatality rate of over 90%. Yeah. I mean, so they beam the him off. The fact that he had his magical Akuchimoya powers to be able to survive that at all is a testament to, to you know, his fortitude. I'm surprised they didn't start with like, you know, it's because my boxing's trained my body, whatever. Uh, he ends up back in sickbay. He's not really able to ever go back. He fills in some stuff to the doctor, and that's when the doctor finds out that, yeah, the Appel guy was murdered, not industrial accidented. Tuvok's like, listen, let me go relieve uh, the way team mission. I had to take over because Bolana's like being abnormally. Bolana is so off the rails, bitchy and aggressive in this episode that I feel like somebody at some point should have been like, she's under alien influence. There's something actively wrong with her. This is way out of character for her at this point. Uh, but everybody just plays along like, well, that's just that's Bolana, and you know we don't want to undermine our trust in her so no stay here and we're just going to gamble with a three light year radius of everybody's lives that she is not going to shit the bed there's a little scene that neelix catches her meditating to show that she's kind of coming to terms with her anger for the fourth time and and growing as a person as much as i hate that part of the plot line i like that scene if that was a scene in another episode where she wasn't acting like a crazy bitch. And we just found out that this is one of the steps she has since taken post season one and curbing her anger. It would have been fucking awesome. But jamming it in here where she has to rediscover her center for the 10th time um, doesn't work out great if you've seen previous episodes. Uh, they finally make their way back into the bridge. And they get sealed in there and we've got this real aliens moment, which, again, going back into Think Tank, for whatever reason, Janeway takes her super special rare 
wonder child Borg to meet the aliens who like to collect rare things in this dank ass repurposed Borg set. That is the Malorn freighter where it's super hazardous and ultra technical instead of sending your half Borg who is like immune to most dangers and great in engineering things. You leave her back in astrometrics in favor of Chakotay and Neelix. Like what? Like Bellana wasn't a bad choice, but why is seven still on the ship? I, I the perfunctory seven of nine episode uh, scene in this episode is as minimal as possible. I think this is the least amount of screen time she's had since she's been on the show. I'm amazed that as they were breaking out grease and skin that <laughs> yeah, they didn't have her lined up first. Yeah. I, I mean, seriously, like what? I don't I don't I would almost be curious, like did Roxanne Dawson go to them and say, listen, give me a sexy episode. I did all the push-ups. I'm not wasting that effort. Uh, Put these guns on camera right now. (laughs) You might not have anybody getting shot. It might be a space pipe featured episode, but you still need to have the guns. The space pipe fight at the end, of course, is peak V'ger please canon. It it is the most Star Trek moment in that it's this weirdly ineffective back and forth where like they're basically having a shoving match in between having dialogue, but eventually a Bolana tires of attempting to reason with the, uh, the Malorn mutant. And, you know, she understands the weight of the power of the space pipe. She knows that the fight would be over anytime. You know, she's, she knows how deadly a weapon is in her hand. Like they, they, they keep their phaser rifles and photon grenades and knives next to the warp core, but space pipes are locked even further and deeper next to something even more critical on the ship uh, because of their deadliness. And she, she holds off trying to reason, but eventually just, you know, cracks the guy over the head with space. So I, this is, I don't really understand what happens here, right? So Voyager has a backup. If they can't fix the ship, they're going to use a tractor beam to kind of shove the ship as it's still moving into an ultra dense star. So if it does explode, the star will absorb the explosion and the rest of the, the quadrant will be safe. Um, the the mutant Malorn radiation poisoned monster guy traps him in the control room and then he gets in there while seven of nines like motion tracker like oh my god he's you know right behind you as we see this like tracking map that's very 90s thriller right he's got that hudson alien moments like oh my god they're right on top of us man the mutant they, they do have that direct ripoff of they're in the room you're yeah. right like it is the the motion the 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 motion, the motion tracker. tracker from aliens. Oh, you're so right. That is absolutely a direct ripoff. Holy shit! And again, like for, you said, like, they do the it way better than they do it way better than macroism. Like this is yeah. Oh direct. yeah. It's I I say that it almost I I missed it because I was kind of into it. Yeah. But like just even taking a second to think about it, yeah, they ripped that right off. Holy so, shit. This dude like one shots Neelix and he one shots the Malorn guy and it's just Bolana and and so I don't. There's supposed to be the struggle of Bolana coming to terms with her anger. Like I'm going to set my criticism of the fact that we've seen the story five times already, but Bolana needs to conquer her anger 
and maybe this mutant represents her unbridled rage and the mutants like actively trying to steer the ship away from the star because he wants everybody to die because he's a crazy mutant and she's like get away from that console and he she gets this pipe and and beats on him a little bit and then he's like still touching the panel and she's like listen i know you're pissed off but there's a better way to do this and he's like no i'm a crazy mutant and then she's like stop and she's just looking at him it's like there's a three light year radius bomb that you're on the verge of letting get loose like i don't understand her hesitation in that moment to not just clobber this fucking guy and he like swats her off and then she moves around behind the console and she's like talking to him and and finally it dawns on her like oh maybe i should just put this guy down so we don't all die and everybody else around us dies so then we get a very gratuitous space piping where she beats the fuck out of the mutant and presumably kills him even though she never goes for that headshot because you know this isn't the shoot. You can't just be slitting people's necks open for snicker bars. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> if only it was. I was. I think a one time only. Like Voyager used their one time. They used it well, card. man. They used it. Well. It was a great episode, but that's that's it. That's the one. Uh, so she beats the guy up, takes off the course corrections. Voyager beams everybody except the mutant back to Voyager and then the ship flies into the sun and explodes. And it's just this what the fuck moment. And then it gets even more what the fucky. And I'm still trying to like real like wrap my mind around why she didn't just put this guy down. Like what what was the what was the hesitation she showed? Right. And while I'm trying to understand this, she beams back over to the ship. And then instead of like really reflecting or giving you the moral of the story and this personal growth moment or whatever, she goes off back to her quarters after like the doctor gives everybody like radiation inoculation, but says, Oh yeah, Malorn guy, you're still going to die because you're been exposed this too long. And she goes into her sonic shower and it's the only time I've ever seen a sonic shower gets fully naked in this reflective, naked, dirty, grimy, sexy time moment. And it is. Yeah, it is the most gratuitous final scene to just have a woman take her clothes off. You'll ever see in Star Trek. Then until we get to Enterprise. Sorry, it gets worse. But yeah, it's and then she has flashbacks of presumably murdering this guy. And like is leaning into the sonic shower and then they put the CG budget into like showing the dirt and grime buzzing off of her and evaporating as she becomes beautiful before your eyes again. And I'm just like, what? what? Joe, explain what what the fuck is going on here? Like, I get OK, we want a sexy shower. Sure. But what was the hesitation? What was her later reflection? Is there closure? Did she have some growth moment like the one time the anger should have served her well to put down a threat in front of her. She has this irrational hesitation. Like what the fuck? What did I watch? Yeah, it, it, it has a completely. Trying to like the ending feels disconnected, not just from the episode, but anything to do with Balana and her, what she went through as a character. Like 
even on the level of if you accept her like rage prop like if you accept her rage problems as the is the main underlying factor in the episode and like the payoff is supposed to be some sort of emotional catharsis about that it fails in that regard if it's supposed to be a payoff about the malorn and like what's gone on with them it fails in that regard it 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 only seems to serve to pay off one line of dialogue where she talks about what she wants a, a sonic shower halfway through the episode and that she was covered in grease during, you know, that, that part of the story. It, 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 it felt so much like some studio note where like, Hey, we need eyeballs on this. So, you know, get, get Roxanne Dawson in as much undress as you can justify in this episode. And we'll like do some promo images, you know, with her taking her shirt off. Like, I don't know how else to describe what I watched there. It's completely out of place and it's very jarring. I like the episode a lot. Everybody does a great job acting. Nobody comes off as sucky or like they shit the bed. Uh, Garrett Wong is contained to the bridge with minimal scenes. So <laughs> he's not able to stink any scenes up. Again, had this been our only exposure to the Malorn, I would have minimal complaints minus the confusing ending of uh Bellana's hesitation and then sexy reflection of what she had done but when you fit this into the bigger voyager picture beyond the bonkers range of malorn space like the fact that voyager has the key to fixing the plight of the malorn like the malorn are the vidians basically right it's a species that is advanced and cultured but has been saddled with a terrible curse and this it's the reliance on dirty energy for the vidians it was the phage uh but in this case again starfleet has the answer and they just cruelly have let them suffer in this episode specifically completely ignore the fact that for all the sympathy they build on this there's never an offer to rectify it or a hard answer of why the Malorn society, not just one greedy entrepreneur um, is sticking with this dirty mutant farming theta radiation scheme. What do we watch next week, Peter? Well, as we move away from this symphony of space pipes, which is my second uh, a symphony of space pipes actually might be the winner there. I don't That's... know, man. Miss Tur- Miss Turtlehead's wild ride because that is a wild ride she goes on. What about Miss Turtlehead's space pipe adventure? No. I think we're gonna have to commit one to the other. Yeah, um, <clears throat> we're gonna be moving into season five, episode twenty-two. Someone to watch over me. We see the Doctor. We see Seven of Nine with her hair down. Voyager makes first contact with the Katie, a race with a strict protocol. Meanwhile, Seven of Nine gets lessons in dating the Doctor. <laughs> Or from the doctor. This feels like uh, Next Generation Season 8. <laughs> <laughs> it's something. This is a... Uh, this is start of my least favorite DS, uh, DS9. This is start of my least favorite Voyager plot line. Sorry to say. Um, well, you'll see. It's just, just like why anyway 
I uh, look forward to reviewing another uh, adventure in uh, space. Barbie's uh, becoming a real girl uh, in space in the Delta Quadrant, also known as Star Trek Voyager. Uh, and uh, we'll see you next week.